0: Welcome to Miniculture Season 3. I'm your host, Jumonde Tway, and I'm excited to be back with you today. We're bringing you the best in stories, in arts, in culture, in history, everything that makes Minnesota unique and special, all produced here at KFAI. Now, KFAI is a small community radio station in Minneapolis. We make radio for the people by the people we've been around for over 40 years now and that in itself speaks to our quality of programming we have programs in dozens of languages and we're almost entirely volunteer ran volunteers like myself when i'm not hosting this podcast though i have a show called afric nomad now my show scans the globe for afro diaspora music all right all right we open up with some heavy drums by nadia name of of the song is Erabanda. But right now, I'm here to host Miniculture, where we've got a great season lined up for you. We're out here shoveling snow today. But like always, we're bringing you nothing but the best stories in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. I've lived in Minnesota for most of my life, but I actually spent most of my childhood living in Liberia. That's on the west coast of Africa. I remember when I was in Liberia, I used to fantasize what snow was like. See, we watched a lot of old American movies, and you see... Uh, images of snow falling, and it just always looks so beautiful. Since I've moved here, I've gotten real comfortable with walking in slush, with the sun disappearing at four, having to shovel mountains of snow off my car. But for me and my producer, Sophie Nikitas, that's just a part of life. Digging for the snow today. (laughs) We're going to dig us out some snow. I'm excited. We're recording this episode in the middle of winter at a time when there's supposed to be a lot of snow. But in 1991, winter came early to Minnesota. It was October 31st on Halloween, and kids were putting on their superhero costumes, they were getting their bags ready to go trick-or-treating. But a cold front was moving in. It was a powerful storm gathering in Texas that swept up the Mississippi River Valley into Minnesota, and by midnight on Halloween, we had at least eight inches of snow that had covered the entire state. And then by the next day, it was over two feet.
1: It's time for the big dig out after the worst storm in Minnesota history, a storm that left more than 28 inches of snow on the ground.
0: In downtown Duluth and around the region are simply horrendous and very, very dangerous tonight.
1: Next on the six o'clock news, storm trouble south of the Twin Cities leads the governor to call out the National Guard while in the Twin Cities. it's been a
0: long So this all happened when I was living in Liberia, but the people who were around, they definitely remember this storm. One of our producers at KFAI, Britty, was around for that snowstorm.
2: I thought I'd stepped into a Disney
0: movie. Like me, she was raised somewhere a little bit warmer. For her, it was Maryland. But in 1991, Britty was in southern Minnesota for college, studying biology. She remembers the storm vividly, watching from her dorm room as the snow piled up on her little college campus. But something else about 1991 stands out to Britty too.
2: What I remember about 1991 is the music. All the years before I hit 30, cataloging my brain like dusty mixtapes. Back in 91, we still made mixtapes. For cute boys, you wanted to kiss, and smart, rabble-rousing girls you kind of hoped would be your best friend. Back then, music had the power to change your destiny.
0: So almost 30 years later. When Brittany thinks about 1991, she remembers two things. One, of course, she remembers that snowstorm. Second, she thinks about her personal soundtrack, the one that she was listening to when she started schooling snowy Minnesota, far away from her friends, from her family in Maryland. So Brittany produced a documentary about that storm and all the songs that come to mind when she thinks about it. She interviewed other folks, too. She talked to meteorologists who were trying to predict where that cold front was going to land and kids now all growing up who filled their buckets with snow instead of candy. And in the end, she produced this documentary for us. It's called The Halloween Blizzard of 91, a mixtape in six songs and two feet of snow.
2: October 31st, Halloween, was a Thursday And I had an afternoon invertebrate zoology lab. And I remember by the time I came out, reeking of formaldehyde and hungry, though a little queasy, after digging around five-gallon buckets of dead fish, snow was falling out of the prematurely dark sky. I thought I'd stepped into a Disney movie. Snow in October, on Halloween. I'd never heard of such a thing. See, I'd grown up in Maryland, smack dab in the middle of the eastern seaboard, but right at that very moment, my high school friends were probably scampering around in long-sleeve tees and getting festively drunk in front of a bonfire. But here I was, hundreds of miles to the northwest, tramping through snow well above my ankles. October 31st, for God's sake. I was wearing tennis shoes, I didn't have boots or a coat or mittens. By the time I reached the student union, my panic had subsided. I somehow bullied the work-study kid at the checkout to scan my card. Even though he was at pains to remind me, the cafe had closed two minutes ago and he had other places to be. I took a tray and listened in on the other late diners talking about the snow. And how it wasn't that unusual this time of year. They were obviously Minnesotans. They traded stories about November snows and even April and May snows. Nothing big, they were telling each other as they walked around the kitchen adding plates and beverages to their trays. The snow will probably melt by tomorrow. It always
0: does. I think the most interesting thing was I had two small children at the time, and that night we went out Halloween trick or treating.
3: That was our first year in our house. So I lived in Coleraine. One of the things I remember about it was people were telling me that we were just going to get overwhelmed with trick or treaters there. So we bought tons of candy.
2: I was in fifth grade, and I went on a road trip to Florida late October to go to my mom's cousin's wedding and we were driving back.
4: I was in St. Cloud State, meteorology student, and we had a forecasting game. We were all forecasting big rain amounts for Halloween. Where I was was trying to forecast the stupid thing.
2: Kent Barnard, Grant Frazier, Jennifer Penix, Pete Boulay, Bob Weissman. These were my compatriots in the Halloween blizzard of 1991. We didn't know each other. We were of different ages, at different stages of life, spread out across the state. But today, we share that one memorable event. And it was memorable for those of us who slogged and shoveled our way out of it. The Halloween blizzard wasn't only long-lasting. It didn't peter out in some places till November 3rd. But it dumped record-breaking snows. Records that remain unbroken in parts of Minnesota all these years later.
5: My name is Ken Buehler. Back in 1991, my partner and I owned two radio stations in Duluth, Minnesota. And because we were a small operation, I was also the morning news person and the station manager. It was October 31st of 1991, and we had been following the storm as it had been developing. And my partner came in and said that the entire town was starting to shut down already, and people were being sent home. I remember John Michaels, who was the program director, and I, we took off and headed out through the storm. You know, at the end of October, you really didn't have your boots out yet, you didn't have your shovels, you just kind of, you know, came to work with a jacket and maybe some gloves, and that was about it. So I can remember I had just dress shoes on and a suit coat and a jacket, and we headed off for the grocery store and that northeast wind right off the lake was cutting. It just blanketed us and the visibility was a foot or two in front of you as the snow just blasted into your face and I just remember that even my jacket was soaked by the time we got to the store and I remember looking at John and he had this hat on, but his face was just beat red. And we were just happy to get inside the store and just be warm and get away from the wind and the cold and that blinding snow. And then we looked at the store and there was nothing on the shelves. It was just empty. Well, because everybody else had gotten there first.
2: While everybody else was stacking up and hurrying home, Ken Bueller and his program director had a listening audience that was depending on them. The radio guys were looking for food to tide them over while they were snowed in. But with the run on the store, they were looking at three days of cookies, crackers, cheese, and sausage. Bueller has more to say later. Bob Weissman is a meteorologist and professor at St. Cloud State University. Back in 91, he was the guy trying to forecast the stupid thing. As he'll tell you, forecasting in Minnesota is a chancy business and involves more than atmospheric conditions.
1: The biggest thing is the regional geography. That there's no ocean or major mountain range between the generating area of very cold air to our north in the northern prairie provinces, northwest territories, or Alaska, and the area that creates our warm moist air masses over the Gulf of Mexico. Now, it takes some time to get any one of those close to us, but when they come together and clash, we pretty much get an unchanged shot. So record high temperatures in the middle of the summer are over 100 degrees, and record low temperatures in the middle of winter are in the 50s below zero because these air masses aren't modified very much. We do have a couple of land features that can change small bits of the weather pattern. Lake Superior, for example, can modify some of the air masses As it comes over, cause some cooler air to come in, hold off some of the the warm air from advancing past some of those North Shore cities some of the time. And the Buffalo Ridge in southwestern Minnesota can squeeze a little bit of extra rainfall sometimes when the air is lifted over it.
5: This is Radio Freedom.
2: This is another song I'm adding to my Halloween Blizzard mixtape.
1: KLF is gonna rock you.
2: I used to crank it on my dorm stereo until the sorority girls across the hall asked me to cool it because they had a major test coming up. Probably how to paint your nails at a keg party. I'm gonna turn back the calendar a couple days before Halloween. Weather takes time to develop, and even while I was bickering with my dorm mates, several miles to the north of us at St. Cloud State University, Pete Boulay and the other students in Bob Weissman's meteorology classes at St. Cloud were tracking the coming storm.
4: 1991, the Twins had just won the World Series the second time. We're just getting done celebrating that. It was a very warm day for that, a couple days before Halloween. Everybody knew a big storm was coming, and we had a forecasting game. We were all forecasting big rain amounts for Halloween. We didn't forecast snow. So everybody from meteorology students to the National Weather Service knew a big storm was coming. What we really didn't realize is how much snow was going to fall.
3: I'll start with the day before, because this is kind of the interesting thing about it, because I was one of the two day shift forecasters on the 30th.
2: Back then, Todd Krause was in his second year as a forecaster for the National Weather Service, which was located at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport.
3: And the day before, which is normally when you'd put out a winter storm watch or at least get out of a lot of information uh, that there may be a storm, the day before it looked like there would be a cold rain. You know, that it would be 37 degrees and maybe an inch and a half of rain. You know, 37, 38 degrees and just a lot of rain for 24 hours. And so there was no winter storm watch issued on the 30th. The winter storm watch wasn't issued until later that night. And so people that might have been watching the news on the 30th probably went to bed thinking that it would just be a cold rain. So that was essentially the setup for the 31st.
2: The National Weather Service has branches across the United States. Our local branch is responsible for those crawls at the bottom of your television set alerting to severe weather conditions. Other agencies look to them for advance notice so they can prep snow plows, make staffing arrangements, or have emergency vehicles on standby. It should come as no surprise that technology for forecasting weather has made great leaps since 1991. At college, we were years away from cell phones. We had wall phones with long-distance charges. I had only just tried my first Mac computer, a Mac Classic two, and was too embarrassed to ask the other students in the computer lab why every time I pushed a certain key, the Mac said,
1: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
2: Even in 91, we had computer hackers. Meteorologist Bob Weissman.
1: But at that time, we didn't have, in most of Minnesota, automated stations that could see what kind of precipitation was falling. So we would make guesses about where the mixed precipitation line was, but we really didn't know. We didn't have computerized maps. We were mostly looking at pre-printed maps. They would come out of a facsimile machine. They'd be transmitted by the National Weather Service, which means there'd be a two- or three-hour lag in how quickly we'd get them. We had advanced from still pictures on satellite to actually being able to see satellite movies, so that helped. And we were just starting to see the first wave of new radar being installed around the country.
2: What did all this mean for me and my Blizzard compatriots? that when we woke on that Thursday Halloween, we could be more or less ignorant of the weather. Obviously, Weissman's students and the folks at the National Weather Service weren't so oblivious. But even as they began to realize that the projected rain was going to be snow, and maybe quite a bit of it, they weren't about to publicly forecast feet of snow. As the National Weather Service's Dan Efforts says...
3: Forecasting 10, 12 inches of snow back then was quite significant as far as a winter storm-type warning or blizzard-type event. Never had seen anything like that before. As far as what ended up being over two feet of snow across parts of Minnesota into the northeast part of the state. Oh, life is bigger, it's bigger
2: You know how superheroes have origin stories? Superman came from Krypton. Bruce Wayne witnessed his parents' murder and decided to start wearing form-fitting bat costumes and collar bad guys. Storms have origin stories, too. Bob Weissman's former student, Pete Boulet is now a climatologist for the DNR.
4: Well, what happened was we had a cold front come through first on, on October 29th. Cold front came through and brought in unseasonably cold air, so that set the stage. The atmosphere is already cold. Then we had a, a low developed all the way down by Galveston, Texas, right in the Gulf of Mexico. That we had moisture already streaming northward, even far in advance, the low. And uh, the storm began to intensify on October 31st, so it was far away when the snow started here. So what went right with the forecast back then in 91, pretty obvious a large storm was on the way, no doubt about it. The gulf was wide open, moisture surging north. We knew that. The high-pressure ridge was blocking the system from moving east, uh, set up which way it was going to move. What the forecasters didn't anticipate was that the precipitation would start out as snow and stayed that way. The ground temperature was warm warm enough for the snow to melt but it just kept snowing on the warm ground and was overcome
2: the high pressure ridge off to the east has since taken the moniker the perfect storm you've probably heard of it sebastian younger wrote a book with that title that was turned into a 2000 movie starring george clooney and mark Wahlberg. the perfect storm and the halloween blizzard were not related except that the eastern storm created a high pressure ridge that kept our storm from veering east. Essentially, it created a sort of wall that sent our Halloween storm on a trajectory straight from Minnesota and parts of Iowa and Wisconsin. So there we all were on Halloween day. The snow started to fall in earnest about rush hour. About that time, Tracy Campa was getting off her job as a nanny in a dinah. Earlier, she'd arranged to pick up her dad in Minneapolis. And I quickly realized that the highway was not going to happen. Campo took back roads, picked up dad, but encountered a snag when crossing the bridge to her home in Egan. Seven cars in front
5: of me started sliding and piling into each other, and you start hearing the pop, 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 pop of, of all of these cars hitting each other. Plus one car behind me slid into this whole thing, and I just got really, really lucky, and I was going slow enough that I managed to go all the way off on the right-hand shoulder, waited for everybody to stop moving, and then could drive around them.
2: Meantime, 6th grader Sarah Bignall put on her costume. James Dean, I dressed up as that, including leather jacket, greased my hair back, (laughs) and I think I even put some Vaseline on my face along with some coffee grounds to give myself a slight stubble look, you know? (laughs) Remember Grant Frazier? He's the one with the neighbors who told him to expect lots of trick-or-treaters.
3: So here we are, we're all prepared, and nobody shows up. (laughs) I think we had one small group of trick-or-treaters come around real
2: early. Kent Barnard got home from his DOT job and took his kids trick-or-treating.
0: My kids were both troopers. I think they were like seven and four at the time, and they wanted to keep trick-or-treating, but they were getting covered pretty good with snow. You couldn't tell what they were dressed as uh, within 15 minutes of being out on the street.
2: Fifth grader Jennifer Penix was traveling back to Minnesota from a trip to Florida, but she and her family only got as far as Madison, Wisconsin. I was not able to go trick-or-treating, and it was pouring rain, so I was kind of mad. That night, after I left the calf, I walked the short distance to my dorm. Thursday nights at Gustavus were party nights. Kids were already trooping down the hill to party at the Frat House Red Door, and the bars, the Flame, and Patrick's, where a local farmer nicknamed Ace would appear as he did every night in his seed cap and jacket to chat up the prettier blondes and get nowhere. With the party set gone, I took that opportunity to do laundry. The load set to wash, I cracked open my organic chemistry textbook and removed a cold Mountain Dew from the mini-fridge. My roomie had gone to see her boyfriend, and the snow was bad enough that she decided not to come back tonight. I had the room all to myself as I put in Madonna's The Immaculate Collection, while outside my windows, a trio of girls dropped to the ground and made snow angels. The next morning, Friday, November 1st, I was confused. I tried to open my dorm's door and couldn't easily. I fought my way out of the drift that had pushed up against my dorm, only to find the north door of the student union completely blocked by snow. Food options were limited. I could eat whatever I wanted as long as it was cereal. Most of the calf workers hadn't been able to get out of their houses. At this point, I started to get excited. Did this mean no class? I'd heard the University of Minnesota never shut down for snow, even though a lot of their students commuted to campus. At Gustavus, most of us lived on campus, but our poor dear professors, just like the calf workers, couldn't dig themselves out of their driveways. Gustavus was closed. So, what about the University of Minnesota, which liked to tough it out no matter what? Heidi Holton was studying film and women's studies at the U. School was rarely called off at the U, but it was. With classes canceled, Holton called a
5: friend. And I picked her up and brought her back to my apartment, and we got a bucket of KFC and a case of Lining Kugels. <laughs> And for us, it was a lot of fun and going out and walking in it and seeing how bad it was. And it was, you're walking on the streets instead of the sidewalks and not as many people out. It feels like some natural disaster has happened or so it's very quiet, which is strange. Minneapolis
2: plow driver Dean Blomgren had worked Halloween night. Finally, around 2.30 in the morning, he got home.
4: So I'd been off for not even three hours.
1: The bus called and asked if I could come back. I told them my pickup was stuck in my driveway. So I got picked up before 7 that morning and came back and worked a 24-hour shift.
2: Normally, plows don't carry tow chains, but no other vehicles were able to make it through the snow-clogged streets. Highway Patrol had Blomgren pull out three semis that were blocking roadways. This while the snow continued to fall. Sarah Bignall wasn't going to school either. So she traded her James Dean costume for winter wear and went outside to build snow tunnels. In Egan, Tracy Campa, her husband, and parents ate breakfast and watched the snow pile up. Meanwhile, Jennifer Penix and her family made it out of Wisconsin. They took I-35 north, heading to her grandparents' farm near Mora, Minnesota. And then we got off the highway to go on the gravel roads to go out to the farm, which was just like a mile or two off the highway. But as soon as we got onto that gravel road, we were stuck. Her parents found an open gas company and asked to use their phone to call an uncle, who shortly arrived to pick them up in his four-wheel drive. October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd, the National Weather Service was bombarded by calls from the media desperate for updates.
5: Change. Southland public schools closed. Southland
2: WCCO schools Radio was change. keeping an eye on a Twin Lernville, Cities that was well closed. on its way to Sand setting a record. Report.
4: One comment, Charlie. I've been looking. You know, I've got a window back there. And well, you've been a downtown. great help this morning, uh, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. But uh, looking out the window, all you see really are MTC buses, and only a few people get off each time they stop. There's very little traffic in downtown Minneapolis. But uh, a mother snowstorm of them all. Huh? Oh, I'll say. <laughs> say, uh, we got the
2: D.O.T. Meteorologist Bob Weissman.
1: For the day, the forecasts are relatively successful, but nobody in their right mind is going to forecast a record storm, because there's a reason it's a record. It hadn't happened in that far in advance. So there were a lot of forecasts, 6 to 12 inches out there, maybe a little bit more in the Twin Cities. So it was more like every time it hit that level, then you had to revise it up, and when is it ever going to end? i think once duluth had seen the amount of snow that had fallen elsewhere especially since they knew the storm was going to stall over lake superior they they were about the only ones who were prepared for two plus feet of snow in their forecast
2: st cloud had just missed the area of heavy snowfall in duluth a skeleton crew kept fm kzio on the air station manager ken Bueller sat at the board and put callers on the air.
5: We were the Facebook of the time, where people would call up and they would post audio by going on the radio and saying, I'm so-and-so, I'm calling from Lakeside, I've got two and a half feet of snow, does anybody know what the situation is like? In Gary, New Duluth, I've got relatives out there, I've got my sister out there. Somebody would call in from Gary and say, well, we've got about two feet of snow, the buses aren't running, We've got electricity. So you started to put this patchwork together, what areas in town were blacked out and what areas of town still had electricity. And we started making maps of where the snow depths were. I remember one of the phone calls we got, though, was from a woman, uh, an elderly woman. Her husband, I think it was, they were going to go to Walgreens and get his prescription renewed. And they hadn't gotten around to it. I just know it was something that this person needed, and they were going to run out tomorrow. So they called, can anybody help us? So the next thing we started talking about was, does anybody know if there's a drugstore that's open in your neighborhood?
2: Fortunately, a family drugstore had stayed open, and the owner called in. Another caller said he had a snowmobile. Maybe he and his son could drive out to the pharmacy.
5: I remember about an hour, an hour and a half later, the woman calls back and goes, they're here. I got my husband's medicine. It's all right, it's all right, it's all
4: right.
2: I'm going to say life returned to normal by Sunday, November 3rd. Pretty much everything that needed to be cleared and plowed out was. At Davis, the calf workers were back on the job. No more cereal or cold sandwiches. The prolonged weekend party had finally dissolved into a thudding hangover, while professors were revising their syllabi to make up for the lost day. I put the finishing touches on the mixtapes I was mailing to friends back east, which in those pre-internet days were as good as long Facebook posts, a way of saying, hey, this is what's been going on in my life. What about you? On November 3rd, the weather weary breathed a sigh of relief. And meteorologists like Bob Weissman started reporting snow totals.
1: It was 28 inches in the Twin Cities. It was 34 inches in Duluth. So that makes it amongst those two cities, single storm, snowfall, one of the highest that they've ever had.
2: Minnesota had experienced deadlier, more dramatic blizzards. The Children's Blizzard of 1888 and the Armistice Day blizzard of 1940. Still, 22 people lost their lives during the Halloween blizzard, mostly from traffic accidents and heart attacks while shoveling. And there was $100 million in damages. But time keeps moving forward, and history pushed aside to make room for the big story of now. In all likelihood, Future generations will forget the Halloween blizzard of 1991, like an old song that sounds silly and out of fashion. But those of us who were there will remember. Because how can you forget the one Halloween in your life that came with two feet of snow?
0: I wanna thank Brady for telling that unforgettable story. It's been almost 30 years, and that storm still holds the record for the most snowfall in 24 hours in Minnesota. After I heard Brady's story, me and my producer Sophie checked out some old videos to see how bad that storm really was. Tony, Barbara, I feel more like I'm in the Arctic than rather than in Duluth right now. The snow has not let up since yesterday, and in fact, things are getting worse. With Every car is covered in snow everything's covered in snow. Like, looking out my window, I wouldn't even want to go outside. That's the beauty of this show, though. For me, at least, I love learning about parts of Minnesota history that I personally wasn't here for. I also get to learn about artists and music. Speaking of which, if you also want to hear some great music from Minnesota artists, KFI's got a treat for you. We made a mixtape, like an actual cassette, an actual physical tape. Remember back when people used to make mixtapes?
2: Back in 91, we still made mixtapes.
0: Yeah. Pretty we did that too in 2019. If you listen to KFAI, you might have heard our Live from Minnesota series. That's where we record and broadcast live concerts all around the state, and then we air it on the station. We compile some of our favorite live tracks, and then we put them on our new double-sided mixtape. You can hear neo Soul singer Miss Pavielle from a show she played at the Sheldon Theater in Red Wing. I
4: know y'all can move. <laughs> you can dance if you want to. Hey, it's alright. That's what we come
0: out for. And then we got indie rock band Bad Bad Hats at the Masonic Temple in Winona. And the synth pop rock of Pornonono No 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 at Ice House in Minneapolis. you want that cassette it's going to be available at our website kfai.org and then also at minnesota record stores like electric fetus Jaime's, and Cheebo. and all the proceeds from that is going to go towards supporting this community ran radio station we're a non-profit we're member supported now i know that you got a cassette player in that basement why don't you go ahead and brush that dust off and put that tape in and shake your booty all night long thanks for listening to the miniculture podcast miniculture is produced by sophie nikitas emily bright nancy rosenbaum editing comes from todd melby and javier santiago did our theme music go ahead and rate and subscribe to our show it helps people find the show here's a review from one of our listeners radio by the people for the people sonically engaging and premium production i'm jamonday tway and thanks for listening to miniculture till next time